Scotty, energize. Energize. I'm going to bring back the metaphor of the phoenix. What rises from the ashes lives again. And I will bring back the metaphor of David Bowie, whose songs always evoke moments in time and life, just for one day or for one night. This is Lon Friend. Energize the Lon Friend podcast is back on the air for this evening, November the 30th, 2015, coming to you live, streaming live from the L.A. Radio Studio with Michael Stark behind the glass at the foot of the Vincent Thomas Bridge. Hello, everyone. <clears throat> wow. So I was uh, driving in from Las Vegas because that's where I live, obviously, or else I'd be here every week because I really liked doing this show. And I said to myself, you know, I, w- I want to do a podcast because it's Thanksgiving. And I feel the sense of gratitude for the latitude that I've been floating at the last, you know, few weeks. Of course, I have anguish and issues. But I was on a prog rock cruise and it just hit me. Um, I'm going to text Mike. Hey, Mike, can I do a show? I'm coming into town for a couple of days. You know, I'm going to see my daughter. And uh, a couple friends. He goes, yeah, of course, dude. This is your home. <clears throat> so here I am. And I did not come empty-handed. I came with birds of many feathers. Obviously, I'm at my best when I'm surrounded by females. <clears throat> what else can you say for a man who started his career 34 years ago at Larry Flint Publications? I have three women in studio. I'm going to tell you how we all met. They are my angels. I'm Charlie or Bosley. However it works for you. The uh, the unification of, of our paths crossing is a tale of great Jungian significance. We'll get to that. First, I'm going to introduce my guest hostesses for the evening. To my left... Shortest hair of the group, probably finest curves of the group, Nadia Zoldi, the Polish goddess of documentaries and film. Hi, Nadia. Hello. Hungarian. Hungarian. Sorry, I thought it was Polish. I was thinking sausage. How's it going, Lon? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Next to Nadia, the songstress. Originally, not from these parts, but she went to my high school for a little while, even though she's less than half my age. And um, by the way, I love all these girls, and they have various sexual orientations. But in my in the ang- in the in the angelic sphere, in the angelic sphere, the love is consistent and unified. Emily Clyborne. Hi, Lon. I am. Hi. (laughs) And then, last but certainly not least, 
is <clears throat> the bass playing gourmet chef who recently took the cruise with me as my Prague right hand and student in the ways of 70s mind-bending fantastical tunage who I have now turned into a huge camel fan. She had it in the car on the way down. Julie Jules Tolentino. Oh, we don't have sound effects for claps. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even though you feel like Robin Quiver sitting there, <laughs> we have no claps. So, ladies, good evening. Good evening. You're, don't f- it's a pleasure to be here, Lon. Emily, when you speak, get towards the microphone like you're singing in front of people okay. who are admiring you as you strum and tickle your ivories and create your magical ballads. Okay. <laughs> so here this is this is how it started. It started in a coffee shop in Burbank, California. March 2015. I came into town to spend the the well several days it was my daughter's birthday. It was her 25th birthday. And I was talking to some folks that I wanted to see, and one of them was a fellow named Danny O'Connor, who's in my first book, Life on Planet Rock. He's in the 70s chapter because he gave me a job selling T-shirts for Todd Rundgren for a couple of months back in 1979. Danny lives in Burbank, loves Burbank. He's from Detroit, never wants to leave Burbank. <clears throat> so I go, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out in Pasadena with Big's mom. I think I'll... Uh, I want to see you. He goes, meet me at this coffee shop. What was the name of the coffee shop? Romancing the Bean. Romancing the Bean in Burbank. Mm -hmm. I go into this coffee shop. I'm waiting for Danny to show up. And, of course, you know, being who I am, this flirtatious Leo, (laughs) lonely lion who lives in the desert, has a, not a whole lot of social activity unless I get in my car and drive places. And I don't really like driving too much anymore, except to L.A. And uh, there's this blonde sitting at the counter. And she's got this kind of like iridescent glow about her. You get, it, it's almost like there's invisible butterflies flapping <laughs> their wings around her, her brow. <laughs> and I don't know what I said. What did I say to you, Emily? I don't recall, but it was witty. And it caught my attention. But the thing is, is that whatever I said, she didn't go like, this guy's creepy. I'm going to move to the end of the counter. She answered with like a mystical reply. And I went, oh, okay. Ice is broken. So we started a conversation. And for just a little while, we talked. And then this other really attractive young lady came in. And I'm still waiting for Nanny. And this other lady walks in, and I start, I guess, start talking to her too, right? We planned our meeting. We did. We did. <laughs> How did we plan our meeting? FB. Oh, Facebook. Facebook. Okay, so you were in town. So Jules yeah. on Facebook, she wanted to like meet me, I we guess, because we had never met because we were pen pals. So, but but that location is chosen. Chosen. So I'm t- there, and you you're there, and then I invite Emily to sit down and, and 
right? You two are there. Yeah. I walk in and yeah. I was like, oh, You're... he's he's got another friend. Okay. Emily. Okay. You were... And I, you guys were acting. You guys were as if you were friends. Okay, that's yeah. the, the, that's the illusion of familiarity <laughs> that I carry with me, like a like a like a. Like a bleeding heart. Yes, it's under. Yes, that's the aura that you got into. So Danny shows up and we chat, and then there's a there is a trust immediate, and numbers are changed, right? And I think later that day or the next day, but it may have been later that day, I joined Emily for Thai food, and she starts to tell me that she went to Grand High School for a while, and I said I went there in the seventies. You know, she wasn't even born until the nineties, so. <laughs> Well, 90 or 89. Mm, late 80s. Late 80s. Okay. <laughs> wow. Anyway. So, well, that's really cool. Anyway, fine. I go back to Vegas. I share a couple of texts, but let me just say this from the outset. Emily is not really that vigilant about returning <laughs> texts, emails, anything. Wow, that, thanks for the message. It's like four days later. Oh, that's so sweet. I don't even remember why I sent it. And then, oh, that's so sweet. Sometimes <laughs> I delete them, and then there's no reference for what the message was in the first place. So I don't really hear from her much. And then, But I stay in touch with Jules, and months go by, and I get, I get invited on this Prague Rock cruise, and I start to think about, wow, Larry Morand from... Monsters of Rock cruise, Moody Blues cruise, Def Leppard cruise. He does this cruise to the edge. Larry's such a fantastic promoter. He was he was Ronnie James Dio's guy. He, he we have similar history. He's close with Lukather and Toto, like I am forever. And he says, "I want you to come on the cruise." So he invites me, and he says, I, "I'm, I'm going to give you two two cabins." So I have the opportunity to have somebody. Join me on this cruise with all these amazing bands. And probably most of the music you hear tonight is going to be of the prog vein because I want to pay homage to the music that I grew up on from the the 70s and then what that inspired later on, the the, the, the mystical, magical music that I air guitared to with my brother Rick in our room when we were teenagers back in Sherman Oaks, California. Okay, so life goes on and... Unbeknownst to me, Emily and Jules have become friends, like good buddies. I don't really know because I don't have that much communication with Emily. But Jules and I, uh, she goes, I have a free free plane ticket. I can get to Florida. I want to go on the cruise with you. I go, you'll be my assistant. I go, okay. So we booked this. Now, about, about a month before the cruise leaves, another Facebook correspondence begins between a young lady who's researching a documentary on my first boss, Larry Flint. And it's very interesting, the first correspondence. And she says she has footage of me from the late 80s or early 90s talking about the Flints, Larry and Althea, in my office. And there's a someone came in. I don't even remember doing the interview, but she sends me like this 30-second clip, and I go, yeah, that's me. She goes, I'd really like to meet you and talk about stuff I'm com- I'm gonna, uh, when you come to Los Angeles. I said, okay. So we set up a rendezvous, okay? And we're going to meet at Cantor's Deli. Now, the day that I'm coming into town, 
Nadia and I have I've set up a rendezvous. Cantor's I pick because I, lo- I like Cantor's. It's, it's Mark Cantor's place. His family's been proprietors for 80 years. He grew up with Slash. Been going there f- forever. It's also my neighborhood spot. And it's in Nadia's neighborhood. So I wanted, of course, I'm always thinking about making things easy on people. On women. On women, especially. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, cool, I'll meet you there. So she's, and then at the same time, Jules is texting me. She goes, I'm going to be in that area. Can I g- come meet you? And I go, yeah, you could meet Nadia. That's cool. The more the merrier. We'll have pickles. So <laughs> I get to the, the canters, sit down. We're having the ma- merry old time, me and Nadia, all the synchronicity, talking about the flints and sharing tales. And There's actually footage of you from 1983. And you, you're, you're a baby. Yeah, I showed you those pictures. Well, the pictures the are of me and Kimmy Robertson. Yeah, at, at the party. Who was my girlfriend then, who was the donut girl in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And she's also in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, no, there's some really cute photos of you. I took her to a Devo show, and she dumped me for the drummer. Uh, and that was it. <laughs> That's so funny. And I, I think I also said she did things to my earlobes that no girl had mm-hmm. ever done before or since. She's not listening. I don't know where she is. Anyway, um, so we're having this good old time, and... Uh, during the conversation somewhere, Nadia, uh, Jules mentions her friend Emily, and and I go, oh yeah, Emily, I'm, I, I'd like to, how's she doing, or what, something to that effect, and and Nadia just says in passing, I have a new roommate named Emily. I go, oh, that's cool, yeah, she just <laughs> moved in. I go, that's cool, like, okay, random, random. And then please articulate how it came that in a city of 12 million people, the Emily who moved in with Nadia is the same Emily that Jules and I met in Burbank in that coffee shop, completely separate from this situation back in March. Please add, add something to this. Yeah, it's kind Someone of- sent a photo. It said... Go ahead. Well, I sent the photo afterward because well, she I was, was on the phone. I was on the phone with Jules. Jules had called me, and she was talking to me about how she was with Lon at Cantor's, and she met this really amazing woman who's doing a documentary about Larry Flint. And I was like, oh, is it Nadia? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's Nadia. And I was like, and Nadia was standing in the other room while I was talking on the phone with Jules, and I was like, that's my roommate. And so then I took a, and then Nadia took a picture of me and sent it to Lon. On the phone with Jules at the time. When I was on the phone with Jules, and it was an amazing explosion of synchronicity. And, and then after just, that, we had a, you know, a continuous foursome of text messages and this between is, the yeah. four of us. And this is the first time, actually, the four of us have all been in the same room. Right. With Lon. With yes. me. Yeah. Because, LA, yeah. because we made a trip to the desert, Nadia and Emily and me. And your video guy, we went to 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 uh, shoot some footage of the great of the legendary um, Paul Krasner. Paul Krasner in his home. Just give thirty okay, seconds yeah. on so Paul Krasner. Paul Paul Krasner is part of the continuum of American satire. 
um, you know, a direct descendant of Lenny Bruce. He edited Lenny Bruce's How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. And uh, he was a one-time publisher of Hustler magazine. When Larry had his born-again experience, he appointed uh, St. Paul, who he considered to be Lenny Bruce's apostle, to be publisher, while he um, did the very important job of evangelizing. So that lasted six months. He was shot. After that, he became a born-again atheist, and uh, the rest is history. But Paul Krasner was interviewed for his you know, association with Hustler and Larry, but primarily because of his uh, deep affection and influence in uh, the realm of satire and the art of the put-on. So we were in the desert interviewing 83-year-old Paul Krasner, who walks in a walker because of uh, sustained wounds from being beaten up by the cops in 1968 in the uh, Democratic Convention in Chicago. Now, to show you that the tentacles of synchronicity are vast, (laughs) during our early conversations, me and Emily discover a mutual love for the 70s philosopher Dr. Alan Watts, who I wrote about in my second book, Sweet Demotion, in the chapter that has a yes anecdote. And what was the cruise to the edge? It was the yes cruise to the edge. So I, I go on Redbubble, and I get an Alan Watts T-shirt while I'm in Vegas. And I obviously I want to impress Emily. So I wear, <laughs> I wear my Alan Watts shirt to the desert with Nadia as we're walking into Paul, Paul's living room. And he looks up at me and he says, he's 83 with a storied career. And he looks at me, he looks at my shirt and he says, he was my first interview. For the Realist magazine. He was, wow. he was my first interview. First. Now, please, Alan Watts died in 1973 and he's left a trove of lectures which I send the girls links all the time, and I send my daughter links because Alan Watts saw more about the human condition than just about anybody in history. Uh, to me, he was the great mind. He was the true, the great mind. And his English accent is hypnotizing. And then Emily said she bought, like went online and bought his lectures, right? I have um, 83 hours of his lectures. (laughs) And I go on YouTube, and I just, it's like opening the Bible and picking the chapter, the pages you're going to read. Like, oh, that must be meant for me. I'll just click on one of his lectures because it's amazing. The the fact that they had the consciousness to just roll tape in the 70s, 60s and 70s, while this man spoke to classrooms, sometimes there were probably 30 people in the classroom. You, you, You could, like, hear a glass being shuffled at the back of the room in some of these, but it's what's coming out of his mouth and his brain that's so compelling. So we go back to Vegas. Me and and Nadia says, I'll drive you back to Vegas. And I go, okay. So Research. Yeah, research. Because I tell her I have a friend named Nick Epolito who threw a bachelor party for Larry Flint, and you should talk to him. And she goes, I want to interview him. So we go to Vegas, and I take Nadia to Red Rock Canyon, and she starts filming me in Red Rock Canyon listening to Camel and talking about Prague and acting like a 17-year-old. And she and Jules put together this eight-minute clip, which I'm going to give to Larry Moran to put on his website soon, which is like an homage of how I grew up in my love for for, for the, the Juniper. 
the juniper, the, the lone juniper in the progressive music. And all of this doesn't make any sense to anybody but us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. Thank I've been talking said. for 20 minutes. Yes. Okay. So listen. This is tonight is about these three ladies. I'm really just a prop. We're going to play some great music and then we're going to talk some more. And um, that's it. Uh, This is Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. I think we should start with some Marillion because I know Jules had an emotional experience watching Marillion on the ship because I did. Thank you for being here. Anyone who's listening tonight, my gratitude is boundless You're gone but suddenly as you came to me
we say, for example, well, one day you'll have to die. Have to? What's in the, what's, what's the sense, what's the emotional content of saying you'll have to die? It means it's going to be something imposed upon you against your will. So it's put in this passive mood, have to. You'll be compelled to die. But I can't be compelled to die unless I'm fighting it. If I, supposing I want to die, supposing I commit suicide, or supposing we look at it all in another way and say when I get a disease and die as a result of it, getting a disease is something I do, just as much as walk, taking a walk. Only we've got our thoughts arranged so that we say, you ought not to get a disease, even if it's just plain old age. Somehow you ought not to do that. You ought to go on. And therefore, uh, you, you can't say uh, when death comes about, well, to put it in the words of Robert Louis Stevenson, I laid me down with a will. Because we've got this hang-up about life being divided into two parts. Things that we do on the one hand, and things that happen to us on the other. And Buddhists say, uh, what happens to you is your karma. And people don't readily understand that. They think, my karma, yeah, I, I, something awful happened to me because of something bad I did in my last life. And therefore, I've got bad karma. Karma simply means you're doing. You're acting. Rockin' your F me pumps And the man notice yo with your Gucci back crew Can't tell who he's looking to Cause you all look the same Everyone knows your name And that's your whole claim to fame Never miss a night Cause your dreaming life is to be a footballer's wife You don't like players That's what you say What you really
make it guess worse at least your breast cost more than hers so you did miami cause you got that for free but somehow you missed the plane you did too much met somebody and spent the night Don't like players. These are three women who have dusted off their fuck me pumps here for Energize. We didn't have to dust anything off. Thank you, Nadia. And I don't wear pumps. We dusted off our Converse now. Maybe dust them off from the red rock dust. Um, Dr. Alan Watts discussing death. And uh, that just made me feel like one of the truly, truly blessed and gifted artists that was taken because it was her time to go. Yeah, but what, what, what do the artists leave us when they go? <laughs> they leave us. Alan Watts leaves us files of lectures that inspire us and raise our awareness. Amy Winehouse leaves us songs. Chris Squire left us a lot of music, didn't he, Jules? A lot of bass lines. <clears throat> On this cruise, this prog rock cruise, by the way, you're listening to Energize, the Lawn Friend podcast. This is, uh, this is a one-off show because they're all one-offs now. And uh, it's November the 30th, 2015. It's my brother Michael's birthday in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, Michael. Say hi. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy, birthday Happy birthday, Michael. I think he's the big double four now. He's my baby brother. That's a good number. It is double four angels. Oh. Right. 44, double D. He's in my age range. <laughs> Shut up. We got all the ages covered here. Um, anyway, so one of the probably the most breathtaking uh, moments of this cruise was um, the great drummer Mike Portnoy, I call him probably the most the most phenomenal multitasker in rock and roll these days. He can play anything with anybody. He's on, you know. He oh oh somebody died from Avenged Sevenfold. Mike Portnoy will come in and play drums. Oh somebody died in Twisted Sister. Portnoy can can handle a, a leg of that tour. Chris Squire. The founding, the founding legendary bassist from Yes, passed last year. No, passed just a June. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I saw, I saw Yes in Vegas with Chris. They did Going for the One and the Yes album. That was like less than a year ago. So I was blessed. And I saw him in 75, too, the Tales of Top Graph Goes and Show, many times since. But he's gone. And so sentient beings are leaving the planet. In fact, on the way over here, my my daughter was texting me that um, her pu- her favorite pug that her boss uh, used to bring into the office that everybody loved Paddington. He he just he got sick and he died today, mm-hmm. and she's teared. And I'm trying to be philosophical through texting, and then she calls and she's got tears. I said, "Well, I'm going to talk about Paddington because whether you got four legs or two legs, when you leave this planet." You've left for a reason, and your time is done, and that's – he just didn't want to be here anymore. He was too sweet a soul. It's hard on good good hearts. Two legs or four. It's tough living, struggle, Buddha, right? Yeah. So Paddington's gone, and now Watts is talking about death, and when we're playing Amy Winehouse, and I'm going to play yes. Yeah, I'm going to play yes next. <clears throat> And I'm doing a, I'm doing a podcast which is dead, <laughs> but obviously we're quite alive right now. Resurrected. Yeah, resurrected. The word erect is in the word res- erect. Yes, it is. Can I get a little commentary from the Henry. ladies? And yeah, <laughs> Henry. Henry. Henry Miller. What about Henry <laughs> Miller? Oh, Nadia, that's one of the things that bonded us. Was you know you don't meet a lot of women where you just mention Henry Miller and they're like. Oh, I've read, I've read a lot of Miller. What? That's well, amazing. Actually, I mean Henry, Henry Miller. There's some connections with him and uh, and the Flint Project too, because my uncle, who uh, you know, shot all the footage, all these twenty boxes of tapes in the early '80s and also the late '80s, the interviews. He his first job was actually bringing soup. To a dying Henry Miller oh in the God. Palisades. So oh, crazy. this is getting even better. And the next mm-hmm. job he had, which was probably much more lucrative than that, was Larry Flint's videographer for his campaign. For in President. 1984. 83. 83, 84, because I was a year and a half in the company. Yeah, well, the 84 part's the most interesting because that's when he's campaigning from prison. Yeah, I know. Code Pinks. Mm-hmm. What did you. <laughs> Well, that's that. That was your addition, actually. I mean, a very cute, like probably twenty-eight, twenty-nine-year-old lawn friend is Whoa. sitting in his office of Rip Magazine, and just you know answering all the questions that this interviewer is asking him. And uh, you know, this, these are one of my favorite interviews. I mean, there's Frank Zappa and Timothy Leary, and you know, some pretty heavyweight uh, investigative. I didn't have any weight then, but your connection to the personal aspects yeah. of. Um, the story was, uh, you know, you could feel it. So, thank you. Well, anyway, Henry Miller erection. I don't know how did that. How did those two connect? Well, just the fact that. Well, okay. So my connection to Henry Miller is Rob Hill, who you met last night, gave me Tropic of Cancer as I was getting on a plane in two thousand and two, going to England to work for Sanctuary Music. He goes, dude, you got to read Miller. And he gives, and I was so overwhelmed by my first foray into the long form narrative of Henry Miller, who 
who Erica Jung said created the first person. And Rob said to me last night, because we started talking about Miller, and he goes, dude, the reason why he wasn't let into that pantheon with Hemingway and Steinbeck and the others is because he wrote in the first person. And he was castigated for that. We're not here to make this into like, welcome to literature 106 <laughs> with Law and Friend. Because I don't belong in that classroom. I just come across things as I come across Alan Watts, come across Henry Miller. Well, you're a writer. I'm a writer. And you do write in the first person I, sometimes. But that's, he has informed my pen more than any other. And I think it's not an ego thing. It's just a, I see things through empirical eyes. And I, I'm having problems with fiction. I've always had problems with fiction. Well, write fiction, fiction mm-hmm. in the first person. Well, that's what I'm doing now, and that's what I'm really attempting to do with my first novel. And I'll talk about that later, too, because it, it was my decision to go into this next thing. And, and, and Emily's going to help me do my Kickstarter mm-hmm. so I, I sure could raise am. money to be free to write because mm-hmm. I, I don't have to worry about you know paying my rent in Las Vegas. I like to be unencumbered, and if I could get enough people to like believe in that I'm writing this novel, but it will incorporate all of the disciplines and experiences, not all of them, but varied in my life, as placed into a fantastical context. I'm going to be this time and space guy. So I think that part of what the synchronicity of being invited on this cruise was to reconnect with my... Uh, authentic self that was sitting in front of the TV in 1966 at age 10 watching the first episode of Star Trek, the Captain Pike episode, The Menagerie, which my friend Zach Throne, who lives in Vegas now but grew up in the Valley, is born in Brooklyn, whose father Malachi Throne was on that episode. He played Mm -hmm. Commodore, the Commodore Mendez. And Zach's one of the musicians I want to introduce you to, Emily, when you come to Vegas, because he's... And Zach was at Pearl's birthday party, because he was on stage playing rhythm guitar. Mm. He's really close with Scott Ian and Pearl. And I took you and your girl to that party. Hello. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like a day or so after the Burbank meeting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if only we could make a living being ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like, can someone write me a check just to be Lon Friend? And I haven't figured that out yet. It's happening. No, it isn't. You're a Nick girl. I don't know. Anyway, wherever I was, 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 uh, we spent four days and nights on this ship, the Norwegian Pearl. 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 Okay, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and we saw yes, and okay. So I'm just gonna so Mike, let's play hold on because I I I just want to hold on for a second and then come back (laughs) because I I don't want to ramble too much. This is so much fun. And by the way, we were dancing when Amy was singing, and I saw your underpants, Nadia. They're very pretty. Scandalous. You're so free-spirited. Okay, play it, Mike. Then we'll be back with Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. I'm Charles Mr. Alan White. 
it's great to hear from you. But what time is it over there? I don't know, it's night. Hold on a sec, let me get rid of the other line. I'm going to have to go inside. I'm back. You're not partying too much, are you? You promised me you'd look after yourself. I'm trying to, Mom, I am trying to. Well, thanks for calling out of the blue like this. Your father's gonna be sad he missed you. He isn't home from the gym yet. Usually you call us in the morning. Mom? Yeah? I feel everything. What do you mean, sweetie? Space. The air. The vibrations. The people. I can feel the gravity. I can feel the rotation of the earth. The heat leaving my body. The blood in my veins. I can feel my brain. The deepest parts of my memory. Sweetie, we have a bad connection. I can't hear you so well. What did you say about memory? The pain in my mouth. When I had braces, I, I can remember the feeling of your hand on my forehead when I ran a fever. I remember stroking the cat, it was so soft. The cat? What cat, honey? A Siamese with blue eyes and a broken tail. Sweetie, you can't possibly remember that. You were barely a year old. I remember the taste of your milk in my mouth. The room, the liquid. about I just want to tell you that I love you mom and dad sweetie and I want to thank you for the thousand kisses that I can still feel on my face I love you mom I love you too sweetie more than anything in the world
thunder grow louder so I can stand on the edge with Alpha in my hand, be my lips darker Energize the Lawn Friend podcast. T- tears. Mm. Okay, that's our own Emily Clyborn. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, so just you know, not to be narcissistic, but when I heard Weathering Heights for the first time, I was in Richmond, Virginia, visiting, visiting my father in 1978, and it was on a radio station called WRXL Radio, and it was midnight, and I got this chill on me. I was 21 years old, and I said, I got to get that record. And I went to the record store the next day, and I said, do you have this record by Kate Bush called The Kick Inside? And he goes, yeah. I go, give it to me. And uh, 37 years later, I still hail her as a goddess. <clears throat> I heard a song called uh uh silent all these years and i heard a record called little earthquakes as on an advanced cassette mm. and i went called atlantic records i go who is this her name's tori emos i go okay i want to write about her and i wrote about her and uh 
we we've stayed in touch since 1992. <clears throat> uh, you know, as my mad crush was developing for Emily Clyborne, and I heard that <laughs> song, I think I sent her a couple of texts that had I got seven. I wrote you poems and shit. You just you did you're just me. so poor at communicating. You wrote me beautiful poems, and I didn't really get any response but that's okay because you got to be detached you just got to put it out there and let the universe take it on wings <laughs> of silk so i think 30 years from now we're going to remember this night because i'll be almost 90 <laughs> and in human years you're going to say someone out there on this podcast is going to say i heard this song burgundy by emily claiborne and um i've loved her ever since and she's she's doing a couple shows at Radio City in New York, <laughs> <laughs> opening for an eighty-year-old Kate Bush. <laughs> oh. I go to that anyway. Just listen. What it is is, I just I hear it. It's why I love music. It's why I write about music because God didn't give me any talent to play anything, but the air and these keys on this laptop and Jules keyboard as Peter Bardens is wailing to the solo his keyboard solo in Lady Fantasy while we're listening to Camel on the way these are my instruments mm-hmm. but boy do I have an admiration almost a reverence for people that can do can sit down and write a song and that that is absolutely a exquisite ballad it's so fucking beautiful and hypnotic. And I told Mike, I go, let's play this because this will this will harken Magical Mystery Tour. It's got that kind of... Harpsichord, yeah. You know, there's there's a great story. Me and Steve Lukather were working on this proposal for a book for him. <clears throat> and it, it just... He just is doing too much with his life. Toto, they were out with Yes, 35th anniversary. He's doing Ringo's tour. He's done four straight Ringo tours. He has chapters in his book. I went to high school with him. I, 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 the first time I saw him play guitar, he had a big mop of frizzy hair, and he was on the Grand High School campus, and him, Steve Picaro was playing keyboards, and he was wailing. And I said, that guy's going to be something. I was the fucking pimples in high school. Go, that guy's going to be something. He saw it. So Luke and I were talking, and, and, and I go, so you worked, you worked with George Martin on something. He goes, yeah. And I was... I, I did the Broad Street thing with Paul McCartney, and I, I walked into his studio, and there was the organ that John Lennon played, Strawberry Fields. And I go, what did you do? He goes, I walked up to it, and I sat down, and I went, did you nail it? He goes, fuck yeah, I was so nervous, but I nailed it, man. What am I going to fuck it? This is how Luke talks. I'm going to fuck it up with fucking George Martin's in there, Paul McCartney looking at me. <laughs> That's anything that evokes the Beatles. Like, you know, me and Jules mm-hmm. sat in the, we sat in the cabin on the boat. We were in the booth. Yeah, we sang Beatles songs. Any, any chick that could hold their own with me and sing Beatles songs, she's halfway to my heart. But that's really about <laughs> as far as they get. And then south of that is real no man's land. Anyway, <laughs> so I talk too much. Anyway, Emily, talk about that song. Talk you, about your record 
your beautiful record called Blow. Uh, what do you want me to say? So talk about your record. Um, were you were you on uh, some sort of a mission to be a singer songwriter to compose and express yourself? Is that your avenue of expression rather than something else? Well, it's just always something that I've done. You know, it's just I've always written since I was a little girl and sang since I was a little girl and. At the time that this album came out, which is about a month ago, and Burgundy's on that record, um, it was in a time of existential crisis, listening to Alan Watts and Ram Dass, reading Ram Dass, and going through a time of um, feeling an ache, you know, need to get out, need to get out of my head, and, you know, um, this, the, it. Um, some of them are about men, but most of them are about my own mind, the need to escape my own mind. So. Yeah, because guys are trying to get into your pants, and you're trying to get out of your head. I'm trying to get out of my fucking head. <laughs> That's hard enough, man. <laughs> can't, can't get out of That's your own head. That's a struggle. <laughs> so that's what it's about. Burgundy in particular is about this. I was living at, in this apartment in Hollywood, and I had a job, and I would take three buses to get to and from work. Every day, and um, I was just terribly bored, just terribly, terribly bored. And um, I would look at pictures of people living free lives, living beautiful lives. And um, I would just look at them and look at them. And then I would start to create fantasies in my own head of myself living free and happy. Because I wasn't happy. I would just go to bars every night, you know, drink and just trying to escape. Yeah, Medicaid. Medicaid. And uh, so that's what this song is about, you know, is... Um, the 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 ability we have to create these fantasies in our own head to help us escape and eventually help us get out of the monotony that we live in. That's what Burgundy is. It's like a warm blanket. It's like a Burgundy, warm, soft place you can go to that gives you comfort. There's a great song by Tommy Boland called Sweet Burgundy. Oh, yeah? I haven't yeah. heard that. It's beautiful. He was another fallen, another great mm. artist that... Left early. See, they do, don't they? Mm. See, see, I'm not going to make light of this, but Jules said something to me. She goes, You know, you sent me this email that was like really heavy about being on the ship and standing and looking at the waves below and thinking about how easy it would be to just put your foot over the rail. And I said, Yes, I shared that with you because that thought came to my mind because the last. 20 years of my life has been not easy. And I think it's because of this, what Emily is referring to is this existential crisis that either abates or just sticks with you and you figure out how to manage it and dance with it. You have to live manage with it. it. Yeah. And it's the artists that have the most trouble, whether you're a musician or a writer or, an, or a painter or a gardener, whatever you're doing to, to get it out, to, to, to alleviate that tension and that gravity that's just holding you into this fucking, it's, this is what I love so much about David Bowie's song, Quicksand. I'm sinking in the quicksand of my thoughts, and I ain't got the power anymore. And he wrote that when he was your, your age, Emily. He wrote that in his 20s. So it doesn't matter when it comes to you, 50s, 20s, 30s. We got it all covered here. We're all in the same soup. 
to mm-hmm. use a chef metaphor for you, Emily. Uh, I mean, uh, Jules, because you're a chef. We're all, we're we're in this soup, and you know what I said to Megan because the the pug Paddington passed. I said he was too sweet a soul for this planet. It they feel the energy, mm-hmm. the pets. They they save us, and sometimes it's just too much. Go ahead, call me an idiot. I don't care. It's all right. What do you think, Nadia? I was just thinking about this uh, little chihuahua that was skittering across Pico on Thanksgiving night when I was driving with my brother, mm-hmm. and uh, we tried to, you know, we stopped the car and tried to, you know, grab it and bring it somewhere, and it ran away, and we just kept on seeing it. We just kept on crisscrossing Pico. And, you know, it was just, I knew that it was uh, not shortly before it was going to die from, like, a car. So, yeah, I mean, we're only here for a short time. Yeah, that's... It was, it was kind of sad. I wanted, to, I wanted to, like, you know, bring it somewhere. I, it I just want you to understand out there, whoever's listening, who will click on this link now, tonight, a year from now, whatever, there's an archive. It, the stuff lives forever now. The internet doesn't go away. It's just, oh, I said something stupid in 1996. <laughs> well, oh, I found it, dude. Here it is. <laughs> dude, there's a picture of you, and, like, half your dick is showing at this party. I go, what? Yeah, it's out there, man. And it's out there forever. Because that's the, that's the culture we live in. Now. And this is what I try to counsel young people. I go, you know, you don't have to Instagram your asparagus tips. Not everything. Not the tip. Not the tips. Was that that stupid about the chihuahua? No. No, it made me think about that young man that I found Halloween. Oh, my God. Oh. Jules, tell this. Okay. He's going to tell this story, and then, Mike, we're going to play Moon Safari. Okay. Okay. So play. P- tell this story, Jules. All right. This this goes out to Rishi. He's an 18, was an 18-year-old boy who, um, we don't know what happened, but I was driving home. It was October 31st. Halloween. 12, 15 a.m. So it was Halloween. And I'm driving in the fast lane, which is lane one. 101 freeway. 101 and the 170 where they split. Mm-hmm. And I see two cars in front of me brake and then swerve, brake and then swerve. So as I approach the object that they're braking and swerving for, I'm pretty slow now. And I look to my left and it's a body of what I can make out easily as a young man. And it's dark and it's, you know, it's 12, 15 a.m. There's there's still movement on the freeway. It's L.A. But um, I was able to go around him and stop. And I could tell that this is a young person. I could tell um, that they weren't homeless. I could tell that it was, a, you know, he was cleanly dressed. He had short hair. And the shoes I saw were Oxford brown suede shoes, which is not what a normal young mm-hmm. person would wear. So anyway, I pull over, stop, and turn on my hazards. And my first thought was I was mad, just like the Chihuahua. Like, why aren't people stopping? This is obviously a human. How can you just drive by? And then my second thought was, what a fucked up joke for someone to leave a fake body mm-hmm. on the road. Anyway. Because it's um, Halloween it's and Halloween. it could easily be a scam. Oh, yeah. 
I thought it was like a pranked thing. It was messed up, you know, sense of humor. And then another car stops. I get out. Um, So the the body now is sandwiched between two cars. And I get out, and I didn't want to get too close. So I just yelled out to this young man who'd gotten out and gotten closer. And I said, is this a real body? I kept yelling it. He could barely hear me because of traffic and moving cars. And he said, yeah, yeah, it is. And so I called 911. But... um, no car, no motorcycle, no scra- no like shrapnel or anything. He was just there. And it wasn't too bloody, not to get graphic, but it was just mysterious how he appeared and why would he be in lane one. And I could tell he was young. And so finally the paramedics came, firemen came. And a few days later we found out it was an 18-year-old boy and he was from Australia and they don't know why he was there. And it's just I felt the end of life. You know, that spe- speaking of Phoenix Rising, that cycle of life, I felt it really strongly at that moment that um, he had left the body quickly. And it made me realize, shit, you never know. Yeah, but what did you do next? Come on. So you contacted his family. How did you do that? Um, they released his name as an 18-year-old. They released his name. His name is Rishi. And um, I Facebooked you know, stalked him. You could find anybody on Facebook. I Facebooked him and I noticed there weren't any posts prior to that Friday. Um, but he was a cool kid, you know, smart kid. He was here studying film at, um, New York school of film. And he had just been dropped off by his family in October, early October. And they spent the time with him and then they went back to Australia. And I think his father works in, um, United of Emirates and um you communicated with the mother i communicated with the mother i left a really long message to the father and he contacted me through facebook and she actually wished me a happy birthday on november 17th through facebook and we were on the boat 1117 we were in the bahamas yeah on a very windy windy day yeah that's the choppy waters so how did he die i mean what was the reason i mean they say it was a hit and run but his body was fully intact and there was no cars there or anything, so um, it's still under investigation. And the mother is in a lot of pain, and she said she would contact me at a later time. And she was in a lot of pain, and so um, you never know what happened if he... Two things are extraordinary know. about this that point to your character. One is that you stopped in the first place. Second is that you made contact, because a lot of most people... They see the the, the 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 malaise of the city. They see crack dealers on corners. I mean, what happened to my friend Polly Perrette? She got beat up by a homeless guy on meth in front of her own house. Okay, and that's the same day where some lunatics, terrorists, went in and shot up Paris. Where my old friend Josh Homey was in a club playing with the Eagles of Death Metal. Josh from wow. Caius who was in Rip Magazine on more than one occasion, who's one of the coolest guys who lives out near fucking Joshua Tree in Landers by the Integratron. And uh, we can't get on stage and do a show now and not worry about someone coming in with armed assault weapons. This is the madness, man. So it took courage for you just to stop because, you know, most people got to keep going. And I'm glad you had that kind of elevated sense of whatever closure you needed to let him go. And that's, it's beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful, too. I know. It's great being beautiful. It's not bad. 
I just kiss. <laughs> she doesn't kiss boys, Nadia. You know that. <laughs> oh, you made my evil laugh come out again. <laughs> he has this thing on me where I get villainous laugh. <laughs> she does have a gnat. She eats like mischief laugh. <laughs> just around you, though. Cackling. She, tur- she, she, she had a birthday on the boat, 11-17. Which... Yeah, and then my friend Deb Morgan has a tattoo that says 1117 because it was the day she died and came back to life. And I texted her and I said, can you send me the picture of your tattoo? And she sends me the picture of the tattoo. And then I'm the 11 person. And 1117 was the day I walked into Guru Singh's class, 1998, and discovered Kundalini Yoga. It's 1117. I'm just 11 guy. The 1117, okay, it's Jules' birthday. And... I brought this shirt on the boat that uh, that Andy Ward from the band Camel had given me in 1979 at the Roxy, uh, the Camel uh, Rain Dances or Breathless tour, and um, I had on a Todd Rundgren T-shirt again, full circle, all the way back to Danny O'Connor because he gave me this shirt, right? Merch. He gave me the merch shirt, and it it, it said Venue London, and I walk into Camel's dressing room. I still, to this day, don't remember how I got in at 20 years old into the dressing room, 21. And I did, and and I became like instant friends with the drummer. He he was just so friendly, and he looks at me. He goes, where'd you get that Todd Rundgren shirt? I want it. I go, hey, okay. What do I'll take it off right now, but I need to wear something <laughs> or I'll be topless. And I don't have the cans to walk around topless. Not at my age. And he goes, wait a minute. And he runs and one of the crew guys or he comes back out and he's got this camel tour shirt. There's this crew shirt that says trucking. It's like the crew company. And this shirt I've had for 37 years. And I brought it on the boat to give to Jules for her birthday. And I have a great picture of her shooting PFM on the uh, stage. What do they call it? The pool stage. Deck, yeah. Yeah, the pool deck stage. PFM. And this t-shirt's yeah, super so tiny. Awesome. And it's such a tiny <laughs> shirt. I don't know how I fit in it. Andy it's was so a tiny. slight, he was a slight built drummer. He had kind of had a Lars Ulrich body. Oh, yeah. But powerful, powerful drummer. So... She has this shirt now, and it's all you know. It's merch, shirts. I'm wearing a Florence in the Machine shirt. That's thank you for reminding me, lawn friend. I think before this evening is finished, we're gonna have to play some Florence. Yeah. Okay, so any other thoughts before we play another band that we fell in love with on the boat? Because we kept running into the singer and the bassist, who was like nine feet tall, Moon, Moon Safari. Safari. So there. I, we just keep running into these guys from the band Moon Safari. Where, Where are they, they from? from? Sweden? Oh, my God. Are they from sweet? Sweden. Holy and shit. And they're all, you guys keep, it's <laughs> like fucking twins. And his name is Petter. And Petter and I get into this conversation about Bruce Springsteen. And I'm, I'm nailing every line to Jungle Land. And he's singing it with me. He goes, you know, Bruce Spring- you know, that's the prog record, Born to Run, Jungle Land is the prog record, Bruce Springsteen. There's so much depth in the art music. <laughs> what? I sound like a cheese salesman in Denmark. Where did that come from? 
They all have very strong accents. But he was so friendly. And you know how you're on the, you're either at a convention, a NAM show, or you're in a place where there's thousands of people, but you keep seeing one or two, three of the same person. And then the person you're looking for, you never see. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> hey, dude, I lost you on the first day. I never saw you again. Now I'm in a country fucking boat. <laughs> He gets a period. Like we were sitting eating in the in the in the garden cafe, and his bases and, and the girlfriend and their girlfriend there, and you know She's their girlfriends are like and model. yeah, school teacher and model, <laughs> and they're like and they're like five eleven. They're, they're like the replicants from from Blade Runner, and they like, all have short, really blonde, tall. cool haircuts, all of them. So I gave Petter my i he gave me his email address, and I wrote him an email, and I sent him like. The sweet emotion link. I said, You should read my Beach Boy Brian Wilson chapter because I said, You guys, just, it's like Prague Beach Boy. Your vocals, the layered harmonies are so Wilson. Anyway, play some Moon Safari, Michael, and we'll be back with more of Energize, the Lawnfred Podcast. Took a trip to Harlem to see where my lonely angel's gone all winter long. Now where'd you get those wings from? And my God, from where'd you get those lines? Light colored eyes. Why don't you know this is just a dream? Well, come Friday night, that angel's gonna wake me. Then he'll
hands makes it hard I can't deny to fall in love on Monday morning with a plain red dirt dressed up all in
Energize the Lawn Friend podcast. That is the hypnotic, magical alien Florence Welch. Florence in the Machine. Another synchronicity. My daughter went to the Hollywood Bowl because she's been listening to Florence since like the demos. She found them when she was in high school. And uh, Emily went to the same Hollywood Bowl shows. And uh, they chatted about it a couple of nights ago at Canner's Deli in the same booth, Nadia, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Get, I can't hear you. There you go. You're welcome, Lon. <laughs> so, and before that, we heard Moon Safari. And as I took a quick check, they were formed in 2003 in Sweden. In Schellenflieren, Sweden. <laughs> and yeah. Peter Sandstrom. <laughs> I just love that guy. I hope he returns my email. Because they don't play here. A lot of these bands. When's the last time you saw Marillion's name on a marquee someplace? Why? They're like gods in Europe. They're the bi- probably one of the biggest concert touring bands in the UK. Why don't they play here? Do you know that, that, that cruise ship showed how enormous the fan base is for these magical bands who have been around? Top 40. What about Top 40? Don't I you mean, think Moon Safari listening to them, if they made a four-minute song that was like, in the pocket, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely possible. God, they're just great. A lot of those groups were great that we saw on the boat, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about Airbag? There were like five guitars. Pink, Pink Floyd with four guitars. They sounded like Pink Floyd. Four guitars and drummer. No keyboards, but they do so much with their guitars. It's it's like, whoa, I'm in outer space. A lot of pedal action. Pedals, right? Pedals, pedals. Now, you, you mentioned something while we were listening to Hold On. Yes, the great Chris Squire. That Billy Sherwood... Who we love, who is another one that I kept running into on the boat, Billy Sherwood, who now plays bass for Yes, who is a storied bass player in his own right. He told during the Q and A, they do these Q and As with the bands, um, that he was called to like Chris's bedside, yeah. So Chris could pass. He says, "No man, you can't let it die. You're gonna play bass." I mean, that is just so. Godfather, you know, is he was past the crown, yeah, the, past the base line. Yeah, you're gonna care. And first time I saw, continues. yeah, I saw Billy with in, in Denver, in Denver, like four months ago, and he he plays, he 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 is evoking the style. Now, as a bassist, you can comment, Jules. He, he's the I didn't I don't know much about yes. But I did study up to the cruise, and he is the embodiment of Chris Squire. And we had met friends that knew Chris quite well and even were, like, crying because his body, his height, and his the way he moves to the music when he plays is so much. They're both Pisces. He has a Pisces necklace that he wore. And what he said, one fish is for me and one fish is for Chris. The Pisces symbol. Okay, can so. I bust out a piece of Pisces synchronicity? Yesterday was the 14th anniversary of the death of George Harrison, Pisces Beetle. Mm. And I sent you a poetic. Did, can you share the text that you woke up to? 
Could you read it or did you delete <laughs> no, it, I Emily? Can find, I can find it. Oh, I don't know. Did you send me directions to the studio? No, you sent an email that said, Here, here's how to get to the studio. I, and then there was no address. I backed her on, I backed were, you on that, the, didn't I? No, I you, said, I didn't get directions you either. You said, long. Here's how to get here. And then you, 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 you attached a photo okay, and you described there, the studio. There were directions. And you wrote a poem. There were directions, old school directions <laughs> on what highway to take, where to get off, and where to turn. I but, found the text. You write in riddle. We're in a Jeep. It's in little. Okay. I, I can read okay. you the text. Is it from yesterday morning? Yes. Up since dawn, nary a yawn, watching Monroe golden, gone, come over for breakfast bearing a song. George departed on this day in 2001. Here comes the sun in burgundy and blonde. Oh, how wow. do you, how do, how do you not just... <laughs> How do you not just like go, She did go to breakfast. That fucking guy is that's my man right there. Okay, he doesn't have tats and he's thirty years older than me, but that's my guy. How I just don't Nadia. It's a sonnet. You should melt like you should melt like a sherbet in the sun in, in the sun. Can I do an impression of you? Yeah, go ahead. Emily's kinda crushable. <laughs> he already said that. But it wasn't on air. Oh, it wasn't? No. Okay. You know, this is all self-musing stuff. I mean, these are the angels, okay? I am Lon Friend. This is my end podcast. Mike Stark's behind the glass. He has permitted me to come in here. I, I don't even live in the city anymore, but I just told Nadia this. I go, what do you see when you see me here? She goes, I see you happy. I go, because I am happy. It's Mappier. a very interesting hexagonal table. <laughs> And, uh, hey, we made it, we made some magic at this table. We did fifty-seven mm-hmm. shows at this table, and we went through times. I was telling Nadi about twenty thirteen, the summer twenty thirteen, when my mom got sick and passed, and I had to drive from her apartment in Oak Park, seventy miles away, to get to this show. And he said. He goes, dude, I know what you're going through. You don't have – don't come in. I go, no, I need to come in. I'll drive all the way back after. I don't – it's – I need to do this. And, again, synchronicity, the day – two days after my mom died, Mike Portnoy called into this show who put on that amazing jam. Sick. Sick jam with – he, vocal. No, he was sick. He was sick. Yeah. By the way, he was sick to sick death. He couldn't even leave his cabin two he's, days before the. And he still put together this jam where he had four bass players on stage. He put the the set list together, and all the guy all, members of all these great bands that were playing on the cruise from Spock's Beard and and uh, um, oh God, Spock's Beard. I'm so into Spock's Beard now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna finish the. Sh- I'm gonna close the show with the 15 minute Spock's beard song. <laughs> you know why? Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> I think I texted someone nervous about tonight. I go, look, it's no rules, and it's my show. It, it, really, no one's listening, so it's great. Hey, Lon, we put the link up, and there's 10,000 hits on it. What? How could that be? I didn't have a rock star sitting here and putting the link up on his page so it gets tweeted somewhere. Tweeted. Did you hear the president tweeted? No, I don't tweet. 
I don't get it. It's hieroglyphics to me. I don't speak tweet. But you speak poetry. And you speak text. I know how to fucking text. <laughs> you talk to that blonde sitting over there with the big grin and, and the, the Aerosmith shirt. The dimples from forever dimples. And take a picture you send to Steven Tyler. I was, I was texting oh, him go. during the leftovers. Here. Yeah, okay. Not to, like... Drop names, but most some of you out there know I've been around and done some shit. You know, I'm not completely cracked. What does Bono say? I, I, I'm broke, but you can. I, I'm I'm not broke, but you can see the cracks. You're gonna make me holy again. Woo. So we're watching. <laughs> me and Rob Hill are watching the leftovers, second to the last, and it's a total live show it's like they've been building up for two seasons to this like live tour de force episode the last two episodes are all about her because she's she's the one she is the she's the one live tyler yeah you know it's steven's daughter she's amazing so i so i wrote beautiful so i wrote live I go live the antichrist leftover remnant queen of redemption off the fucking chart holding breath for finale. And he says, strap in, going to be a good one. <laughs> he's, he's not long-winded in text. Only when you're sitting with him does he get long-winded. I said there was a Twilight Zone thing. I go, it's 14 years ago to the day. Uh, oh, shit, that's another text. <laughs> uh, oh, he, here it is. Twilight Zone stride. I've never watched anything such tribute to, to that in my life, I have to call Liv and ask her what the fuck is going on. <laughs> you know, it's it's a mind blow that program. It it really is. Consider the premise that October fourteenth, all of a sudden with no explanation, three percent of the Earth's population simply disappears. The people vanish. No trace. No explanation. And what does that lead to? What are the tentacles of relationship? And what happens after that? I mean, that's like three million people. What just do you gone. mean they disappear? They disappear with no explanation. Like they're the taken globe? away. All around the globe, three million people. Uh, when was that? No, that's the leftovers, the this premise is, of oh. the HBO show. <laughs> it is happening, though, the, in it, a way. It is, in a way. It's metaphorical. Mm-hmm. It's happening. People it's happening. are disappearing. Epidemics. Yeah, sure. that's right. Well, this is the end times conversation, too. Coming automatons. Just to bring yeah. it, Marillion did that. You spit Marilyn Monroe, you mentioned, in the poem. That's because and, I woke up at, at 5 a.m. and I just turned on the TV and there was Niagara. A 1962 or 53, 54 Marilyn Monroe film where she's she's trying to kill her husband and scheming. she's on her honeymoon. She's right? on her honeymoon. She wants to kill her. She, she she's committing plotting a crime and she gets out of bed and puts her heels on in the silk robe and <laughs> it's it's so hot, iconic Hollywood. It's Glamour. Marilyn, and and I'm watching this, and then you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I see Emily today. I was blonde, burgundy, and blonde. Yeah. Cinemascope, Technicolor, and mm-hmm. I have never been to Niagara Falls, and I had no Neither idea how been. amazing it is. They show in like the misty platforms and where you can get soaked. They put raincoats on you, you know, like going on the cruise ride at Disneyland. We should go. 
Just go to Niagara Falls. You know, that's where Ringo rehearses for the All-Star Jam Tour, Niagara Falls. They have rehearsal space in Niagara Falls. I know that because Lukather texted me from Niagara Falls. Yeah, man. It's a trippy place to rehearse. Niagara Mm. Falls. Mm. Okay. So let's uh, What time is it? Whoa! We're having fun. Thank you, Mike Stark. We're going to play another tune and then come back and kind of wrap it up because... What are we playing? I'm going to interrupt because I, I make I can make no heads or tails of this camel CD. Okay. <laughs> the CD says one thing, and the out the outside says something. Else. You you probably put a REM disc in the camel. <laughs> no, they're both camel CDs, but they don't match. The titles don't match oh. up. All right, well then we're just going to let it go. Just play any of the camel. They're all good. Play anything. Yeah, play, play, play anything. <gasps> hey, that's it. Let's just let Mike Lady, pick the song. Lady Fantasy. Lady Fantasy. Oh, they're really into Lady, Lady Fantasy. Lady Fantasy. And it's what nine number? minutes. What number <laughs> is it on the disc? It's it's long. Oh. You guys like it because because it's called Lady and no. it's called Fantasy. Well, it's in the it's in the, the eight minute clip. It's um, cinematic. It is. In, it's it's epic. It's epic. It is an epic song. That's it. Those are the opening bars to the opus, Camel's Lady Fantasy, from their groundbreaking Mirage record, which Rick and Lon Friend had when they were teenagers. And this is Energize, the Lon Friend podcast. We'll be here a few more minutes because, hey, I don't get here that often anymore. And my co-hosts, Nadia, Emily, and Jules are with me till the bitter fucking end. And they brought fish and calamari. (laughs) So that means this room is lots and lots of Pisces energy. Woo! Thank you.
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, Camel. Camel. I discovered Camel right after Genesis Foxtrot, uh, my um, <clears throat> freshman year at Valley College uh, in 1974. I went to Valley College. Me too. What? Mm-hmm. We both went to Valley College. I studied guitar. 
Synchronicity. It's like a triangle of Valley College people here. That's in the 70s chapter of Planet Rock, because that was the school way more than UCLA, where I learned to write, and the music was driving my soul back then. I just... I had astronomy class with Bob Barlow. He taught at Valley for 45 years. And I just learned that he passed away last year because I, I got assigned to do an article of, about him for, from the L.A. Weekly years ago. And I went back and I sat in the same class that he did for 45 years. Whoa. And he, he and I talked after class. It was like seven years ago. And he was exactly the same. He just gotten older. He was like he had. He was like Charles Bukowski. He had a. Tw- he had the ratty jacket with the patches on the elbows, and he smoked cigarettes. He'd take breaks, and he'd come back smelling like Marlboros. And he would go to the bar after school. And he raised kids and grandkids, and he taught forever. And he taught me how to write essays. See, the thread is is that the music. If it's unstructured and out there and it makes you imagine, if that music is like what your dream states are like and what your schooling is like, and I I sucked in all these other classes. I wasn't good at that stuff, but I was good in astronomy and I was good in essays because not being a scientist doesn't mean that you can't think mm-hmm. outside the box, you know. Yeah, I'm t- I was telling my daughter, who is like fucking genius, I, tell, I was telling her about my idea for this novel I'm going to write. She goes, Dad, you should take a physics class. I said, Meg, I would fail physics. I go, metaphysics. Yeah, Mm. maybe. Metal physics. (laughs) Metal physical stuff. Of course, then that's the middle. That's the part of the career that things got loud. And I embrace that, too. Metallica? Yeah, I'm sure. Metallica, Iron Maiden. You know, me and Bruce Dickinson once had a long conversation about Genesis. And I don't think people really understand that metal and prog music are both virtuoso-driven forms, instrumentation, rooted in classical. Some of the best players. Well, Mike Portnoy is a perfect link. Dream Theater was the hi- a hybrid. And that's why I love Porcupine Tree so much and Opeth. You know, they're like hybrid. Even Queensryche to a degree. Very Pink Floydy. Why do we need categories? Mm-hmm. Although, explain to me why I like to get up in the morning and put on the Music Choice Soundscapes channel. And then I have my oatmeal. And, you know, do a little mantra. And before I go down and do my 10 minutes of wait so I can keep my gun's looking good as my age advances, my cholesterol rises. I used to have this line I would write, Lon friend, high cholesterol, low expectations. <laughs> Maybe that's the business card I need to get. <laughs> anyway, so um Orion. Why why um why is there no why is there like classic rock? Alternative rock, mellow rock, uh, 87. Um, there's no prog on music choice where it's just like 
those bands that we saw on that boat. You know, there's no channel playing Gentle Giant. We'll rewrite history. You know, you can always revive things that were... Well, I think that's part of why I'm not into categories is, to me, I just love... I mean, I played Amy Winehouse tonight because I love her, and that song just gets, you know, takes the wrinkles out of my boxer shorts. Well, I mean, what you do, Lon, though, by writing about music is, you know, you shine a light for others, and... Then I mean, and that, that's that's what uh, has to happen for things to then go into the canon. You understand? I had an epiphany on the boat with you, because I, you know, I get dark. You know, in Denver, Lukather's introduced me to his Italian girlfriend, who's amazing. He goes, "This is my friend Lon," and I'm saying something. He goes, "Lon tends to get dark." <laughs> <laughs> I go, "Thanks." You know, people that know me like major to minor. Yeah. Quickly, so uh-huh. I'm 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 ha- I'm. It's in my notes because I have 45 like pages of notes, and on uh, on what I'm seeing and going through. It's sort of a stream of conscious, uh, um, empirical adventure I'm having on this boat. The people I'm meeting, and the groups I'm seeing, and uh, I I wrote this down like three different times. I have no business writing about music and musicians. Because I can't play a fucking note. I don't understand the science. I don't know how they read it or what what the language is, the nomenclature of being a musician. I really, I'm a fraud. And I think I said something like this to you. And you go, Lon, you're like those you're like those sportscasters who weren't athletes. Some of them are really great. They talk about it from a different place. And that kind of made me think, whoa, maybe I'm the Bob Costas of rock. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember saying that? I do me? now, yeah. Thank you. You know, it meant a lot to me because I was having a lot of, I, I just have a lot <clears throat> of crisis when I'm doing anything. <laughs> Pretty much. And walking around on the boat a lot, and like, st- and watching those waves, it's it is like pff, this is just so easy. Like, say, and then Larry tells me the story about the EDM cruise, the the electric. Oh yeah. He goes, no. He goes, man, they had a death. I mean, it wasn't one of my cruises, but somebody jumped. I go, well, what was it? He goes, well, drugs, you know. But I said, you don't have to be on drugs to be in a state where you just look and say, boy, that water is deep and dark and it wouldn't hurt for more than a second. Then, but then, you know, you get this, wait a minute. I'm, I just saw PFM sing celebration and I felt alive. Like life is good. And I saw Martin Barre do this. Martin Barr do the solo to teacher from the Benefit record that Mark and I air guitared in our room when we were like fourteen years old. Life is good. Music keeps us moving forward, and that's sort of the conclusion of this. Anyway, Nadia, Emily, Lon, it's been a pleasure. Jules, my angels. You're our angel, Lon. Mm-hmm. I am honored to be your Bosley. 
I really am. In the original and the Bill Murray version. Mm. <laughs> 2000 remake. Just right. cruising along. Yeah, Emily yeah, thought that we were actually moving. And it wasn't us, but it was actually well, a boat. Uh, because boat there's, because there's boats that go right by the window here in I, the in the harbor at the Port Sacal. It was a water. very large boat. The tonic plate shift happening here in yeah, there's psychedelics. I think that we're in Modern. constant shift. So Emily's music is out there. It's online. Her record's called Blow. She's Emily Cl- Clyborne, C-L-I-B-O-U-R-N. Thank you. On iTunes. Clyborne to run. And iTunes, yeah, iTunes. And Jules is... She's Jules. She, she cooks, and she's get, she's she and Emily are gonna be in the same band. Yep. Peace. Yeah, Peace. we rehearse tomorrow night. That's right. That's right. There's gonna be some some fun. Yeah. Shows here here the, here here's a, here's a conversation <clears throat> at the coffee shop with Lon and Emily. Do you want to go to Asia with me? Uh, <laughs> well, that like you know like Bali. Like she goes, you go with me, and I go. Well, that opens up a big can of worms. Okay, but I have to be back in time to rehearse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, okay, Emily. Yeah, I'm I'm all in. Not. And then Nadia, well, she came over and watched Lost in Translation and brought me turkey soup that was fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. I had some. Leftover soup. Yeah. She's an amazing all of you are amazing. You're like you're like a foursome that I will never have. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting pretty close. I mean, this is as good as having, it gets. This is this is oral. Well, we don't. <laughs> see, this is what's so great is we don't have to exchange fluids. There's nothing. And we get we're this, not in danger. It's starting to smell pretty fishy in here. <laughs> well, that's because you went down the to the ports of call and brought all this. Of us, you brought all this fish in. There's a box of shrimp. And crab or lobster. We got prawns. Calamari. The prawns, man. And fried prawns. I can't eat eat prawns because it reminds me of that movie with the prawn creatures. That apocalyptic dystopian film about the prawns that that they're after the world was destroyed, the prawns or like Are you aliens. About the prong rock, no prong rock cruise. No. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so, thank you, ladies, um, and for this was Michael. Thank you, um, and whoever's out there listening, share the link. Uh, if I get a sponsor again someday, I'll come back and do this more often. Yeah, what are you doing? Thank you, Lon's books. Oh, yeah, I have two books. He's got some books that they're are on circulation, though. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, they're Polly on circulation. Yeah. yeah, my friend Polly bought me some books. Collector's items. They're very good. Yeah, but forget about it. i got to write the next book, and <laughs> Emily's got to do my Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and she'll shoot a video. You guys will do video. See, all I need in life is in this room. Mm-hmm. This is all I need. I have six arms and <laughs> six holes. Three brains. <laughs> And three fertile minds. And six beautiful eyes. And three magnificent hearts. Thank you, ladies. We're going to go out with Spock's beard, an opus. It's long, but listen to the whole thing because it's great. Thank you. Love you all. Lawn friend.
Everything that can 
weird. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dave Barrows on bass guitar. Yeah. 